0: And I think he's got a surprise or two that you're going to hear about in the next few days. I mean, mean, I'm talking about some pretty big surprise. Oh, yeah, I heard you say that this morning. What do you mean? You'll see. (laughs) see. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. Unplugged. Welcome to Episode 15 of The Middle Unplugged. I'm Anthony Weiner. Today, a break in the middle of the week when we reclaimed the microphone from the far left and the far right and tried to carve out some time for a less shrill, less extreme, and generally less angry conversation. It wouldn't be a Wednesday without your daily Santos update. Yesterday, Mr. Santos announced he was recusing himself from his committee assignments. Remember I talked to you last week about those two minor committees that he'd been named to? Well, there's no such thing as recusing yourself. He's basically saying he's not going to show up. And I can tell you why. It's because none of his colleagues who sit with him on those committees want him there. They don't want to be photographed sitting next to him. They don't want to be there when the media comes in for all their hearings and markups, although they don't do a lot, those two committees. So he announced he is not going to do it. Also, a poll came out of his constituents that say over 80 percent don't want him to be their congressman. That's the Santos update. There are more more fibs that came out this week, but I won't bore you with them. And the other... Kind of newsy thing that came up just yesterday is apparently the Trump Stormy Daniels story is back. It's complicated, that one, not in the facts, but in whether or not the local prosecution can move forward because there is a five-year statute of limitation on the campaign finance rules that he's alleged to have broken when he reimbursed Michael Cohen for paying off Stormy Daniels to be quiet during the 2016 election. That was a campaign expense. It wasn't treated as such. Long story short, it's a complicated case. We don't need to rehash it. But let's get into it. I have a little bit of an ambitious program in mind for you today. And let's see if we can pull it off. It's about a subject that I am frequently associated with. And let's start out with the number of the week. The week that the number that we're going to use to jump into this conversation, it is 211. That is the number of Democrats that voted on a party-line resolution to create the select subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government. This is something that the new Congress said they were going to do. They call it something like the church committee, And the idea is that they're going to give them, this panel is going to have access to sensitive intelligence and the power to oversee criminal investigations. But what is it that the Republicans want to investigate and why? And is it a good idea that my Democratic friends are opposing it? Well, it seems that the answer is, to the who they want to investigate, is the FBI. And the why comes down to people they either want prosecuted who haven't been, Or they want the feds to stop prosecuting some people who they have been. I think that's what this deep state conversation comes down to. And in Category 1, the most obvious one is Hunter Biden. They don't understand why Hunter Biden hasn't been investigated. They want to go ahead and investigate him. And they believe there's some kind of an FBI cover-up. You know, I've talked about it before. That's one that they want a prosecution to happen. And by extension, I'm sure they'd like to see Joe Biden investigated. By the way, there's also a regular old-fashioned oversight committee looking into this. But in that second category of investigations that they say are part of a deep state FBI pro-Democrat cabal is they want to know, why, you know, the January 6th crew basically is what it comes down to. The insurrectionists themselves, many of them have said they want to investigate why those people are being prosecuted. And obviously the leader of that insurrection, President Trump, they want to get to the bottom of why it is that Donald Trump was the subject of all these investigations. Over his term. And I guess the theory of their case is that the FBI is part of this deep state conspiracy that doesn't like the president or his supporters, notwithstanding the fact that, you know, these law enforcement guys are generally Republicans and a lot of people who were at the January 6th event were law enforcement people themselves and on, on their off duty time beating up other law enforcement people. But putting that aside, so they're going to issue subpoenas and call hearings and ask the FBI a lot of questions. They say they're going to find out the source of the Russia influence investigation. Or they're going to look at the evidence brought against the January 6th insurrectionists. Basically, that's the January 6th committee. That's, and the Democrats are opposed to this. Why? Why would the Democrats possibly oppose to another group looking into these exact things that many of which we know the answer to? I mean, take a look at what happened with the Durham special prosecutor. If you remember that guy, he was named by Trump's attorney general, apologist, pitbull, Bill Barr with the explicit instructions to find out why the Mueller investigation got started, because they just knew there was some kind of misconduct that might have gone on that led to that. They promised it over and over again. Let's we're going to find this misconduct, this FBI deep state misconduct. And we know, by the way, why that Mueller investigation got started. It's because Trump's previous attorney general, Jeff Sessions, named him because there were so many Trump officials that were implicated by their many, many contacts with Russians during the 2016 campaign, including Sessions himself. So he appointed a special prosecutor. That's the Mueller investigation. And years later, after this Durham report, this Durham special prosecutor was appointed to get to the bottom of this deep state thing. Not only did they not find any misbehavior on the part of the FBI or the Justice Department or anyone else, but they used all these questionable techniques that's now being learned to try to show that Mueller used questionable techniques. For example, they tried to get access to phone records of someone that worked for George Soros, who had nothing to do with any of this investigation. So they went to the court. The court said, no, you can't have a search warrant for some random guy that you've got a bone to pick with. So Durham went into court himself and said, can I, you know, it's really important, Judge. The judge says no. And so they impaled a grand jury to try to get to those things. They were obviously, if you go that panel, that route, it's a little bit easier. The grand jury asked for them. They got them. And to date, not a single one of those phone records has appeared in any kind of legal thing. They were phishing. So if the Republicans want to go back and have hearings and look at the past, they'll find out what the inspector general found out and what the Mueller report found out. That in the 2016 campaign, there was over 100 contacts of, between Trump, campaign officials and the Russians, 17 campaign officials were involved. Trump himself had six of them that they coordinated with WikiLeaks, who was at the time working with the Russians to release the Podesta emails. And by the way, the source of all this is not only the Mueller investigation and not only the inspector general's report, but also the Republican Intelligence Committee of the U.S. Senate. Like all of this stuff, we already knew. But if the Republicans in the House want to have another committee to go back and look at this stuff again, they most definitely should. I don't know why Democrats would possibly be against this? Why would they not want to investigate the FBI to get to the bottom of this? But also, this is a chance for the Democrats to get to the bottom of the rest of the 2016 story that Joe Biden and his Justice Department to date hasn't shown much appetite to go digging around it. And that is who the FBI was really conspiring against, Hillary Rodham Clinton. And I ought to know Remember October 28th, 2016? Hillary was up in all—it's 10 days before the election. Hillary was up in all the national polls, was leading in Pennsylvania, leading in Michigan, leading in Wisconsin, was up by about six points nationally. It was actually—that morning was the first time that Hillary reached 50% favorable for the first time since the convention in March. She was in a good place. And then the ultimate October surprise— despite 70 years of Department of Justice precedent that said you never make any big announcement that might affect an election, the FBI director, Jim Comey, announced that the FBI was reopening the criminal investigation into Hillary's emails because he said there might be more information on my laptop. Now, this was October 28th. They had my laptop for almost a month. And when asked under oath why he did it, when he was asked... By the Attorney General, when he was asked by the public, he said that he was afraid that there would be leaks of the information from the FBI New York office. And the Inspector General report went and interviewed the Attorney General at the time. This is Inspe- Attorney General Lynch about what went down. He did, you know, you can go get that Inspector General's report. It kind of goes from soup to nuts. And this is a long quote, but I'm going to read what she said about her conversations with the FBI about why right before the election they had a laptop that had they had stuff in their possession that they could have looked at by the way in two hours and figured out there was nothing there they eventually did that but why it is that he chose to do that releasing and they're talking here this is Lynch the attorney general describing her conversations with Jim Comey and I'm going to quote from the report I said, but it was conveyed to me that you were very concerned about the leaks specifically. And I said, I can only assume that you were thinking of leaks that would have been of this information in a much, much worse way. And he said, that's Comey, he said, you're right. You're exactly right about that. Now, I knew that the laptop had been handled in a case out of New York. And so I said, you know, we have to talk about the New York office and the concern both you and I have expressed about leaks in the past. And I said, do you think that this was the right way to deal with the issue, the concern about leaks? He didn't have much of a response. But we were having a conversation, and I said, you know, I've talked. You and I have talked about that before. McCabe and I have talked about that before. And then I said, now you've got to talk about the New York office in general. And he said, yes. And I said, we both work with them. We know them. We both, you know, think highly of them. I said, but this has become a problem. And he said, and he said to me, that it had become clear to him. He didn't say over the course of what investigation or whatever. He said, it's clear to me that there is a cadre of senior people in New York who have a deep and visceral hatred of Secretary Clinton. And he said it is, it's deep. And he said it was surprising to him or stunning to him. Now, that is Lynch, under oath, describing her conversations with Jim Comey about why he chose to go public in violation of 70 years of precedent DOJ. And we know that it ultimately cost Hillary the election. Now, as Jim Comey has talked about this, he's alluded to this when he's been asked a thousand times about why he did what he did. I mean, all kinds of other reasons. But he always includes, it says, it was going to leak. And that clip that we heard at the top was two days before the announcement. That fella knew. Also, this fella said the quiet part out loud. Tell you what we know about that at the time. So we actually had, I've never actually said this before, um, because we had whistleblowers, but we couldn't really use the information, but now that it's in the IG report, we can. We had whistleblowers that came to us in late September of 2016 who talked to us about this laptop sitting up in New York that had additional emails on it. I mean, the House Intelligence Committee, we had that, but we, we couldn't do anything with it. So, when was that again? In 2016. What would you know when exactly? Uh, I think it was late September. OK, so the, ultimately th- they didn't move on this until so, late so, October. So good FBI agents brought this to our attention. But what could we do with it? So that's Devin Nunes saying that someone had leaked to him, to his committee. He calls them whistleblowers. There wasn't any whistleblowing to be had. The laptop had just been taken over. There's no whistleblowing to happen. The leak had already happened. Uh, The laptop had already been taken. And he's saying a month before it was announced, already Devin Nunes and the committee, the whistleblowers, the good FBI agents, had already leaked to them by the FBI by the FBI that was described by Jim Comey as being stunningly visceral hatred of Hillary Clinton. But that's a little bit old news. I mean, there's nothing really all that newsworthy about it. But now there's a new subcommittee that's going to look into the FBI. And is there really anything new under the sun? You had the Mueller report. You had the IG report. I just read from the IG report. That's out in the public. You have the Durham Appointment, which has not come to an end yet, but so far he has got a grand total of nothing to show for his investigation that contradicts anything that we'd heard before. Well, there is something new now. A fellow named Charles McGonagall was arrested a little over a week ago and charged with crimes that could send him to prison for 75 years. He was an FBI agent, but he was not just any FBI agent. He was in charge of investigating... Russia trying to interfere with our elections. That was his job. He was the special agent in charge of counterintelligence for the New York field office. He was a big deal. And what is he accused of doing? This person whose job it was, investigating Russian efforts to interfere in our election? He's accused of working against the United States for a Russian oligarch who is trying to interfere with our elections. His name is Oleg Derisboska. He is the same person who is paying Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort. Manafort went to jail because of it. So, to tie these things together, you had the FBI leaking to hurt Hillary. Before the election, the New York Times relying on sources in the FBI, writing stories that it doesn't look like there was a criminal conspiracy between the Russians and Trump. What are those sources? Law enforcement sources in the FBI, perhaps? Then the FBI gets my laptop, mishandles the laptop, leaks about my laptop. The head of the FBI makes a big announcement about my laptop right before the election. Obviously, he reversed himself. If you remember the story, he reversed himself a couple of days later. It turned out there was nothing on there. And he admits he was afraid of more leaks from the FBI in New York. U.S. intelligence all agree that the Russians successfully interfered in our election. And now we find out that a guy in charge of fighting Russians' attacks on the U.S. was working for the Russians. Yeah, I have no problem with an investigation of the FBI. None whatsoever. We'll be right back with Listener Mail. And welcome back to The Middle Unplugged. Every week on The Middle Unplugged, we like to do what we do on the radio, is get some feedback from listeners, feedback from people who want to send me something on Twitter, at at RepWiener, R-E-P-W-E-I-N-E-R. Or Wiener WABC Radio, Wiener WABC, I think it's Wiener WABC Radio at gmail.com. I really should know my own Gmail address. Or you can go to the Facebook page, Anthony D. Wiener. And unlike the radio where you get to do calls every week, we take one letter out of the mailbag and we try to respond to it. And I encourage you to add to that whenever you'd like. And this week, the call, the letter, rather, comes from Roger from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It's a simple question. Will Trump beat DeSantis, and is that good or bad for Democrats? Well, I kind of see this race as being a little bit like Bush-McCain in 2000, where there's kind of one presumptive front runner and one other person kind of nipping at his heels. I think that Trump—I think there'll be other candidates in the race that won't matter all that much. I think it is going to come down to Trump and DeSantis, assuming— that both of them make it to the starting line. And if the polls are to be believed, that I think that Trump will win that primary. I think he'll win the primaries. I think his base is loyal. I think that DeSantis would be a stronger general election opponent for Joe Biden if for no other reason that he's a blanker slate. Although by the time you get to election day, half the country will hate both sides. (laughs) You know, it'll be we will kind of revert to the mean. But when you look at polls that show what the two important groups to Republicans cobbling together a win, at least in the Electoral College, are independents and women. And in both cases, it seems like DeSantis does better. Now, I think that Biden would rather run against Trump. I think that he's proven he can beat Trump. If you look at the head to head polls, one just came out yesterday, in fact. Show that right now, DeSantis v. Biden, 45-43 DeSantis, Trump v. Biden, 45-42, basically flipped for Biden. Biden beats Trump, loses to DeSantis. Although it's narrow, it's all within the margin of error. Let's call it, there are ties either way. Now, if you recall in 2020, the rationale above all else that Joe Biden used to float his campaign was I'm a more centrist candidate that is more likely to defeat Trump. Well, he can say that even more so having beaten him once before. So I think that the analysis is right. I have said all along that I think Trump will be the nominee. I think he will lose the general again if he makes it that far. I assume he won't be in prison at the time, but I assume that all these investigations are going to give a lot of institutional Republicans pause. But I have to tell you that unless some kind of dynamic emerges that suddenly— the primary objective of primary voters is to vote for the person that can beat Biden, kind of the way Democrats rallied in 2020, then I think it's going to be Donald Trump. He's got too fervent a base, and I think there will be a sense that Santis will get his chance in the future. So I'm rooting—that's funny because, as I've said this before also, I think most Democrats would rather Joe Biden not be at the top of the ticket, and I think most Republicans would rather Donald Trump not be at the top of the ticket— And neither of those sentiments is going to mean much when they both become the nominees of their party. So that's the simple answer to what I think. And we have plenty of time. I mean, we do have an accelerated calendar this year because Donald Trump announced so early. But we have plenty of time to see who gets in and who doesn't. But I believe in a DeSantis Trump, I think I'd rather be running against Trump if I'm Joe Biden. So that's our program for today. Like I said, if you'd like to... Lob in. It's wienerwabc at gmail.com. Also, if you'd like what you're hearing here and like to hear more, I urge you to subscribe, share this. That's the way the world of podcasting works. The more people who get to hear it, the better it chance it has that it gets shared by other people. Also, there are a couple of podcast platforms that let you leave comments and ratings. I'd encourage you to, to do all that. As well. And also you can tune into my other programs, The Middle, which is a radio show I do at two o'clock on Saturday, and then at three o'clock left versus right with Curtis Slewa. Both of those, as well as this, available on the Red Apple Podcast Network or anywhere that you you listen to podcasts. It is really great having you along. I'm grateful for your support. And this marks the end of the Middle Unplugged.